Okay. Oh, that's loud. All right, so what happened this week? Was there uh, some sort of special day this past week? What do you think, Levi? Christmas. What's great about Christmas? Toys? Jesus' birthday and, and toys, right? It's okay to be excited about toys too. So how many of you got something for Christmas that you're really excited about? Zaley? Whoa. Two Hogwarts Lego sets. That's pretty awesome. Dinah? $50 in Amazon money. <laughs> Noah? I got the hanging tree. I was going to put the thing. I had to stop everything because I burnt it down. <laughs> all right. So I want, kids, I want all of you to picture in your minds the most, your, your favorite thing you got for Christmas, okay? Everybody got it? Now, what if I asked you if I could borrow that? How many of you would let me borrow it? So some of you. All right, so Drew, what did you get for Christmas that you're excited about? A Nerf gun, and you're going to let me borrow it? Okay, now let's say... You're kind of nervous about letting me borrow it. And so I say, Drew, I promise you I won't break your Nerf gun. You let me borrow it, and then I break it and give it back. Okay. But, but can I borrow your other Nerf gun? I, I promise I won't break that one. So you wouldn't let me borrow the second one? The point is, right, if you let me borrow something and I promise not to break it, and then I break it anyway, you're probably not going to trust me again, right? What happens if I borrowed it and I didn't break it and I give it back and it was in just as good a condition as you let me borrow it? Then would maybe you let me borrow another toy? Yeah. Right, because then I've shown that I'm trustworthy, right? I keep my promises. Today, in our passage, uh, we're going to be back in Isaiah, and we're going to be learning about three things that God tells his people. He, he, he points them to, and he says, look at these things. These are things that are going to comfort you. And one of those things is that God is a God who keeps his promises. And so one of the reasons why God's people can trust him is because he continually keeps his promises. He never, ever breaks his promises. And so, kids, I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about how God is a promise-keeping God. And that because that's who he is, we can trust him and rely on him always and forever. Ask your parents to tell you more about what they learned through what Isaiah says to his people in our passage today. Uh, So go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're going to read the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 51. Again, that's Isaiah. It's kind of around the middle of your Bibles. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah 51. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's some under the chairs, and the passage will also be up on uh, the slides behind me. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, 
Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation is gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the mouth will eat them like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And that you are a God who reveals yourself to your people. That you sent Isaiah to to speak messages of comfort to your people in exile. And that you caused your word to be preserved so that, that we can read it and learn from it and benefit from it. And so we pray today that Uh, as we seek to learn from your word together this morning, that you would send your spirit to to help us understand it together and to uh, convict and challenge and encourage us and to to comfort us uh, with the words you use to comfort your people. Jesus, we thank you for, for your sacrifice, that you are the visible manifestation, the demonstration of your Father's love for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So it's been, it's been a bit. It's been since like September since we were in the book of Isaiah. So I want to kind of recap a bit so we know what's happening in this book that we're kind of smack in the middle of uh, at this point. And so uh, in this section we're in right now in Isaiah that runs from chapter 40 through 51, God is comforting his people because they're in exile. And so this is kind of like, prophecy for the future that they're going to be in exile. He's giving them words of comfort to let them know that they're not lost, that he's going to bring them back to the land. And so uh, in the last chapter we were in, in 50 in, in Isaiah, he's talking about how he's going to send this servant. And it's through this servant that God's people are going to be saved. This servant is going to be the, the tangible representation of this message of comfort that Isaiah has been delivering to the people. It's through this servant that God is going to redeem his people, bring them back to the land, and do all these things that he's promised to do. And so today's passage just kind of wraps up this section and, and kind of brings it all together. And he does that by giving them these three sources of comfort. He points them to these three things that are supposed to be comforting to God's people as they're in exile. And so this, this 
passage breaks down into three sections. It's verses 1 through 3, 4 through 6, and 7 through 8. And it's in each of these sections that we get one of those sources of comfort. And so the first section starts in verse 1. He tells them, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. So he's calling not just to, to everyone, not to all the people, but to this specific group of people within the nation of Israel. And that specific group of people is this remnant that continue to trust God in spite of everything that has happened. So he's calling out to them because they're the people that are pursuing righteousness. They're the ones who are seeking the Lord. They're the ones that are looking to him for comfort during this time. And the comfort he gives them is a command. He says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. What he's talking about here is he's talking about where they came from. And he explains that in verse 2. He says, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So he's telling them to look at Abraham and look at Sarah. And the reason why he's telling them to look at them, he says in verse 3, for the Lord comforts Zion. So he's telling them that there's some sort of connection between Abraham and Sarah and them looking at them and the fact that he's going to comfort Zion. So the question is, why would looking at Abraham and looking at Sarah be comforting to God's people in exile? And the answer to that question is hopelessness. Abraham and Sarah, when God came to them, were in a hopeless situation. Right? Abraham was ridiculously old. And Sarah was ridiculously old. So much so that when God came and delivered his promise to them and said, you're going to have a child, Sarah laughed at him. She said, that's crazy. I'm way too old to have a kid. It's not possible. Of course, it was possible because God caused it to happen. And it's through Abraham and Sarah's descendants that the very people that are being written this message of comfort exist. They come out of that hopeless situation because God delivered his promise into it. And his promise overcame their barrenness. And he did bless them. He did multiply them. He did make them a great nation. And so he's saying, look at them as this example for how I've overcome a situation like this in the past. Because they're in a very similar situation. They're in exile in a foreign land. And he's telling them that he's going to comfort Zion. He's going to, he's going to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed. There's, there's no walls, there's no temple, there's no city, there's no people, there's nothing. Most of the people that he's speaking to in exile at this point in their history have never even seen Jerusalem. They've never been there. They don't, they don't know what it's like. And so he's coming, he's telling them, you're going to go back to the land. The city's going to be rebuilt. It's going to, it's going to be, he says, uh, it's going to make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. It's going to be better than it was before, after God has finished doing the work he's going to do. So he's telling them that this is what's going to happen. And if you don't believe it, look to Abraham and Sarah. They are the proof that God's promises are kept and he overcomes impossibly hopeless situations. That's the first source of comfort for them. Look to the God who keeps his promises because he is going to keep his promise to bring them back and overturn their hopeless situation. The second source of comfort comes in the next section. He says, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the people. So he's calling them to attention. 
He says, my righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. These three things here, his, his righteousness, his salvation, and his judgment are all very closely related. His righteousness is, is who he is. It's his character. He is righteous. He can't be anything else. And the next two things, his salvation and his, his justice or his judgment, are what flows out of his righteousness. Because he is righteous, he gives salvation and he gives judgment. So both of these things are going out from him. It says his righteousness draws near. And because he's coming near to his people, he's going to bring two things with him. He's going to bring salvation for some and judgment for others. And he's saying that the people are waiting for this. The coastlands hope, and for my arm they wait. And so now he's going to give them this command. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. He's pointing them to the second source of comfort. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath For the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. So look at the heavens, look at the earth, they're going to go away, and you're all going to die. That's that's comforting, right? That's right, but there's a but. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be forever dismayed. This is the second source of comfort, that they should look not to what's temporary, that's going to vanish, not at the earth and the heavens, because if they focus on those things, they're going to disappear. Instead, they should focus on what's permanent, the fact that God's salvation, his character, who he is, his salvation will be forever, his righteousness will never be dismayed, that he will last, uh, outlast everything that they're facing. So this First thing he tells him to look to, look to the fact that he keeps his promises and he's going to keep his promise to overturn the situation that they're in. The second thing he tells him to look to is to look to what's permanent. Focus on the fact that God is going to outlast everything, including themselves. They can trust that his salvation will come, that it will endure because it's going to outlast even the planet that they're walking on, even the lives that they're living. It will be there when nothing is left. This is a very similar thing in the next section. In verse 7, he says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. So again, he's calling on that remnant to listen. It says, Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their reviling. They're in exile. They're surely facing mistreatment. He says, Don't focus on that. Why? Verse 8, For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. This is really similar to the second one. But it's different in that he's telling them not to focus on this this mocking and mistreatment that they're facing. But instead to recognize that those people are going to get eaten by moths and worms. They're they're going away. But, But God's salvation is going to endure. He's telling them to focus on what lasts. So if you think about it from a more practical standpoint, right, trying to, to get in the lives of one of those people who's been suffering mistreatment, if someone's mocking them and reviling them, it's really easy in that situation to just lash out at the people and, 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 and respond in kind to them. He's saying, don't do that. Recognize that God's salvation is what matters. They need to be more concerned, not about how the people are treating them, but about what's going to happen after that. 
right? And so if we're facing mistreatment, if we're facing mocking, if somebody's mistreating us, instead of just focusing on what's happening right now in the here and now, we need to recognize that that person is going to last. They're going to face either God's salvation or his judgment at the end of their lives. And we should care more about them in that way than we care about the fact that they're mistreating us. And we should recognize that we are going to, at the end of our lives, face either God's salvation or his judgment. And so we want to respond in that situation in a way that reflects the fact that Jesus died for us and saved us from our sins. And so he's telling them to not focus on their current situation, but to recognize that God is bringing his salvation. It's coming, and so is his judgment. They're going to be vindicated. They're going to face salvation, and the people that oppress them are going to face his judgment. These are the things that God is pointing his people to as he's delivering these messages of comfort ahead of time. Right? They're not currently in exile. They're going to be in exile. And he's giving them this message of comfort so that when they're there, they will have the tools that they need to keep trusting this God that always keeps his promises. So he points them to the fact that that's who he is. He keeps his promises. He's going to restore them. He tells them to focus on the fact that his salvation will endure. And he tells them not to focus on the temporary circumstances that they're facing, but instead to again look to the fact that his righteousness will last and his salvation will endure forever. And so for us today, right, we're not, we're not in exile. Right? We don't need this specific message of comfort. But we do need to recognize that it still applies to us. Right? Jesus came. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today as a church, we should be reminded of the fact that, number one, Jesus is the visible representation of the fact that God keeps his promises. Right? Paul tells us in the New Testament that all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so as we celebrate the fact that he came and he died and he bled and he, his body was broken for us and for our sins, we need to recognize that that is him delivering on his promise to save his people. Right? This source of comfort that he points them to, we have delivered in Jesus. He has saved us from our sins. We need to recognize that Jesus dying on the cross points to the fact that his salvation and his kingdom is forever. Right? We can focus on what's eternal because we're reminded every single week and hopefully throughout the week by one another of the fact that Jesus came and he did what he did for us to save us and to save others uh, from eternal judgment that's coming against us. Right? We can trust in him because of what he's done, because it will last, because it's proof that his righteousness will never be dismayed. And like we talked about earlier, as we face mistreatment and suffering in this life, we can choose to look past it because we know that he suffered mistreatment on our behalf. Right? He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He looked past it to what came after. And we're called to do the same exact thing. And so today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church, I would encourage you to think about those things. I would encourage you to be reminded that all the comfort we need can be found in the cross. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, number one, I would encourage you not to take the Lord's Supper because it's not for you. You don't know what you're celebrating. 
Instead, what I would encourage you to do is talk to someone about what it means to trust in Jesus. Talk to someone about what it means that he came and he lived the life that we couldn't live and he died in our place and he paid the penalty for us and for our sins. Ask them to explain to you this amazing grace that's found only in Jesus. Uh, And then if you do that and you trust in him, tell somebody else about it so that we can celebrate with you. Um, Let's pray and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. That he was born into this world. That he took on flesh and became like us. And he lived in in our place. And he died in our place. And he rose again, uh, conquering sin, death, and Satan. We thank you that in your message of comfort to people in Isaiah, that we can look back and see how you kept your promise to them and how you keep your promises to us. Now all of those promises find their yes in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you allowed your body to be broken, your blood to be shed for us and for our sins. We pray that you would send your spirit to to help us celebrate that rightly together as a church. That as we take the Lord's Supper, as we sing songs, as we celebrate the, the grace of baptism, that we would praise and worship and honor and bring glory to you because your sacrifice and the grace that comes through that is what makes all of it possible. We pray that you would comfort us in our brokenness and in our sinfulness by reminding us that your righteousness and your salvation will outlast them both. 